Let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 31. Now in this last chapter of 1 Samuel, we have the suicide of King Saul and the defeat of Israel by the Philistines. Well, let's begin by reading the first 10 verses. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those who were on the other side of the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Let's begin our study of this last chapter of 1 Samuel with some background notes. Here in this last chapter of 1 Samuel, we have the tragic end of King Saul. Here was a king who had started out well. Saul was humble, and the Lord was with him in the beginning. We read in chapter 11 that the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily, and he defeated the Ammonites. But then Saul began to go downhill. His heart was lifted up with pride. He practiced partial obedience when he did not completely remove the Amalekites. Isn't it ironic? that an Amalekite may have been involved in Saul's death, as we'll see in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And then Saul continued to go downhill in his insane jealousy of David. And now comes his tragic death and the defeat of Israel at the hands of the Philistines. How sad. It did not need to be. If only King Saul had not turned away from the Lord and had not been so proud, and had not been so jealous of David. The Philistines defeated Israel at Mount Gilboa, which is at the southeast end of the plain of Jezreel. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. Saul's sons, including Jonathan, David's good friend, were killed. One of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, was not killed. We'll read about him in 2 Samuel. Saul himself committed suicide. The Philistines took Saul and his three sons and hung their bodies on the walls of Bethshan. Bethshan was a very impressive walled city that guarded the whole eastern end of the Jezreel Valley. The walls of the city were set high on the tell or mound of Bethshan. The bodies of Saul and his sons would be highly visible for miles around. This was the ultimate triumph for the Philistines and the ultimate put-down and shame for Israel. Well, so much for background. Let's move now to our doctrinal or teaching points with this last chapter of 1 Samuel. 
Doctrinal point number one. The Bible does not condone suicide. The Bible does not condone suicide. The fact that Saul committed suicide, and it's recorded in the Bible, is certainly not the Bible teaching that it's okay to commit suicide. If anything, the Bible is teaching just the opposite here. Saul's destruction of his own life was the tragic end of a life of self-destruction. Every suicide in the Bible is in a negative context. It is the tragic end of a life that could have been used for the glory of God. Abimelech in Judges chapter 9. King Saul here in 1 Samuel 31. Ahithophel in 2 Samuel 17. King Zimri in 1 Kings 16. And of course Judas in Matthew chapter 27. Let's read these other passages that we just mentioned. I'm reading about the death of Abimelech, the son of Gideon, in Judges chapter 9, beginning at verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, A woman killed him. So his young man thrust him through, and he died. Judges chapter 9, verses 50 through 54. In 2 Samuel chapter 17, we read about the suicide of Ahithophel, Absalom's counselor. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his house in order and hanged himself and died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. In 1 Kings chapter 16, we read about King Zimri's suicide. I'm reading 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Then Omri and all Israel with him went up from Gibbethon, and they besieged Tirzah. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and died. 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. And, of course, we have the well-known suicide of Judas in Matthew chapter 27. I'm reading Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5. Suicide is really self-murder. And the Bible clearly condemns murder in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. Now, giving yourself for a good cause, such as throwing your body on a live hand grenade to save others, or like Samson sacrificing your life to defeat the enemy, is not, by definition, suicide. What about cases where you are in extreme pain or terminally ill? 
Or as in the case of Saul here, you don't want the enemy to torture you or have the ultimate triumph. Are not the Jewish zealots who committed suicide at Masada considered heroes because they did not let Rome have the pleasure of abusing them and making them slaves? And would it not be better for a soldier today who is captured by an enemy that does not follow the Geneva Code to take the cyanide capsule that he has in his pack rather than be tortured and possibly give away vital information? All of these arguments may seem valid and seem to justify suicide in some cases, but we still have to say that the Bible never condones suicide. And, of course, on the other side of the coin is the fact that people can bring glory to God in their extreme suffering instead of committing suicide. And God can deliver from any situation if he so chooses. So while we can understand why Saul and others, including Christians, have committed suicide, we must conclude that the Bible never condones suicide. Doctrinal point number two. The Bible does not condemn cremation. The Bible does not condemn cremation. Verses 11 through 13. Now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethchan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Jabesh-Gilead was on the east side of the Jordan River in the territory of the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, the reason that the men of Jabesh-Gilead made the night march to Bashan to save the bodies of Saul and his sons from ridicule and vultures was because of what King Saul had done for them 40 years before this time, at the beginning of his reign. Remember back in chapter 11, how Saul raised an army and went out and rescued the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead from the siege and threat of the Ammonites. So the valiant men of Jabesh-Gilead took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall of Bethshan, took them back to Jabesh, burned them there, and then gave their ashes an honorable burial. Question, what does the Bible teach about cremation? Once again, the Bible is not teaching cremation here, but rather telling us what the people of Jabesh Gilead did to honor Saul and his sons, probably because their bodies were mutilated. So what does the Bible teach about cremation? There is no verse in the Bible condemning cremation of the body, and there is no verse in the Bible demanding burial of the body. However, the biblical practice for God's people has always been burial. Cremation throughout history has generally been a pagan way of dealing with the dead. Burial more conveys our hope as Christians, according to 1 Corinthians 15. At death, our bodies are sown as perishable bodies, but will be raised as imperishable bodies. I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 44. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 44. 
Furthermore, burial, not cremation, is the basis for the meaning of Christian baptism. We have died with Christ and are buried with Christ and are raised with Christ. This is our position as believers, and it's conveyed in our baptism. But, of course, all of this does not demand burial of the body. More and more people today are opting for cremation, even because of the much higher cost of burial. So the answer to our question is that the biblical practice has always been burial, but the Bible does not condemn cremation. What about practical application from this last chapter of 1 Samuel? In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Now this practical application comes right out of the book of Proverbs, and it's a wonderful promise for guidance. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now let me ask you, does all your ways include questions as to whether to be cremated or not, or whether to have your loved ones cremated? Of course it does. All your ways includes all your ways when you're seeking to do God's will. So at the right time, the Lord will give you the answers you need for all your needs, including decisions about cremation. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths.